Hello and welcome to the Big Show. This is Tim Lights and Stiff Drinks, the dive bars of Seattle. We're interested in those comet taverns, watering holes, and lounges with a long history and an interesting backstory. And as always, we're not recording this in some air-conditioned studio. No. No. We are live. Live from the comet. That's right. We record live and hang one on in the places where bad decisions and future regrets are made. So without further ado, let's introduce the crew to my left. This is a Bob Trombley production. All right. Your pilot tonight will be Bob. To my other right, we have a resident Sweds Gourmand, Jeremy. I'm going with um, MC Nostalgia. Nostalgia, yeah. okay. I like yeah. I could see why. Mm-hmm. Because uh, mm-hmm. you've been coming here for 25 years. And counting. Nice. And to my right here is resident historian Brad the Stash Panda. Brad. Hello, everybody. When was the last time you were at the comic? Uh, you know, it's been a minute, but I think it was... And I'm going to get into this. They remodeled the place in 2013, and I think it was like soon after they remodeled. I wanted to come in and see what they had done and what had changed and stuff. And I think that was the last time, so that's, that's been about... way fucking too long. Yeah, 10 years almost, yeah. so, yeah. Way we, too long. Nice. You're fired. <laughs> It's been a minute, probably seven years. I was in here randomly seven years? with Barbara. We were going to a, a play up the street, and we stopped in here. And this is your seven year itch. That's right. It's my seven-year itch here at the Comet Tavern in the center of the <laughs> it's a good universe. place to have an itch. <laughs> right? Pipe Pine Corridor. Yeah. That's true. It has been remodeled since 1995, but it's still got the same vibe. Yeah, it does. This is a true dive bar, and we had some recent experience. Let's give a shout-out to the owner, Jason, and uh, Melissa, who hooked us up at the North Lake Tavern episode. Thank you. The first episode of this season. They said, we'd love to have you come do the Comet, and so here we are. The Comet. Brad, you did some research. I took a peek at it. It was a long history in this building. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, so the building itself was constructed in 1910, and for most of its first 20 years, it operated as a pharmacy known as Auto, A-U-T-O, Auto Drugstore. Like an automobile? Yeah, because this used to be, well, this used to be Auto Row. This was like where all the cars, a lot of garages, Mm -hmm. automobile. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where it came from, Auto Drugstore. Of course, it's another one of those bars. 1934, after Prohibition was repealed, it reopened as an Irish-themed tavern known as the Wee, Doc, and Doris, which is a really Wee, strange Doc name. Wee, Doc, and Doris? The Wee, W-E-E, Doc, and Doris. Doris? <laughs> Wee. Doris, like Doris Day. Oh. Wee, Wee Doc, Doc, and Doris. Doris. Yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. Just rolls right up the tongue. Yeah. Whatever happened to them? Well, they, they went out of business because no one could remember the name. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Uh, after actually, they it, it stayed as that for about the first decade, and then sometime in the 1940s, it became the Comet Tavern, which oh, has wow. been operating as ever since. Now, during most of its early years, it was a no frills working class bar, which very much reflected the neighborhood at the time. Capitol Hill was a very working class, kind of rough around the edges neighborhood back then. So it reflected mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Starting in the late 1960s, early 70s, it was still the Comet Tavern, but the hippies took it over. And it became a hippie bar. And by all accounts, Uh-oh. 
The windows were reportedly covered in plywood and painted black. Black lights were installed. Lava lamps were at each table. And it became a place where everyone came in and dropped acid. That was oh the my word God. on the street. I, I, I know like my, my next business bar. is opening up a bar just like that. Where everyone can just drop acid? Well, no, at least there's a lava lamp at every yeah. table. I mean, we'll start there and, and see how it that, goes. That wouldn't fly anymore. No, no. but back then, uh, apparently it did. But it has retained this countercultural vibe ever since, prompting one local writer to describe the comet back then as characterized by an uh, eccentricity and freedom that are the brighter side of living in the forgotten corner of a depressed city. Nice. So it's kind of a poetic way to describe the forgotten comet. Forgotten corner of depressed city come on well, back then it was you know yeah it wasn't the city where you see today hence the grunge music that came out of here yeah all forgotten corner of a, there's yeah. no forgotten corner of this depressed city none back then Ever. there was yeah the heavy industry puts a little black cloud on everything you know yeah yeah uh, it was also during this time that a longtime bartender and neighborhood fixture a woman known as Ethel passed away, I think she was on the older side, but she was such a fixture here that they actually gave her uh, like a tribute in the, in the form of encasing her ashes and putting it in her favorite stool. Now I don't know if that oh, same stool is here, uh, I haven't had a chance to ask the owner, in it. but if so, there's a stool here that has Ethel's ashes in it, which I think is pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. What about you? Would you guys ever want your ashes or your remains to be at a bar? Oh, that sounds yeah, like a it was. great place. Oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great place to have my ashes. Yeah? Oh, yeah. This bar's giving me all sorts of ideas. If it was, if it was my bar that I spent every day, I don't know how many years I was my family. Yeah. You do it? Yeah, I'm going to go change my will tomorrow. I was going to say, man, you're, you're heading. Yep. Gonna give your attorney a call. I'm gonna do the dim lights uh, approach and scatter like my ashes at all of the 36 bars we've been to so far. <laughs> there you go. Make yeah. A little, uh, Let's hire uh, somebody to a little call it? scavenger hunt out of it. A little twinkle, twinkle in each bar and get back on his bicycle. Go to the next one. Take some of the LSD from the floors of this place. <laughs> rub it on that. Well, in 2013, kind of out of the blue, the comet suddenly shut its doors. Rumors of uh, unpaid bills swirled, followed by more serious and accurate discoveries that the comet's owner was having serious financial troubles. Uh, it came to an end when a new owner secretly took over the place. That's when the renovation took place. So someone came in and kind of saved this place at the last minute. But it was about to go under. That was in 2013. 2013. Yeah. And that's when Jason. That's when he took over, yeah. Yep. Oh, from the Ghetto Boys? Was he really? He was here? Oh, can you put that on the the gram there? Oh. <laughs> well, Bushwick Bill probably still has it. We should <laughs> text him. Now, as far as the renovation goes, it's been kind of in dispute if it was a good thing or not because half the people were kind of split. Half the people were saying, you know, keep that comet the way it is. Don't change a damn thing. Like, yeah, it's a shitty, grungy, dirty bar, but that's why people like it. Yeah. And then the other half was grateful for the renovation they did. It was like, yeah. 
it is a dirty place that needed to have like a good cleanup, a good sprucing up. And they did it, but they still kept its character. So it's, it was sure. kind of evenly split. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely on the camp of like, I think they did a kick-ass job. I think yeah, they did a great job, too. Absolutely uh, kept the flavor. This is no new absolutely kept for it. the listener. But I think, um, yeah, just looking around, like the, the benches that we are still sitting on, these tables that we've got here, yeah. the bare brick walls, the patina over the whole place like it's crazy like you can look up and you can see something that's relatively new paint within a couple of years right yeah but it totally looks like it's been here since the 40s right <laughs> exactly right yeah. but it still, it's there, it still has its shit. rustic there, charm totally and there's yeah. stuff that's still there's stuff you know right next to it there that is from the 40s right and it's yeah. really hard to tell the difference which i think is they did a killer killer job well, and they added some awesome pieces. You know, you got some original, like, Olympia beer signs. Bob, um, what are you seeing? There's some cool cool little trinkets of history scattered throughout. I'm going to oh, get yeah, into the true. dollar bills, yeah. That's, that's another thing they kept, which is awesome. Yep. In fact, without any further ado, that's a good segue. So, yeah, if, when you go into the Comet, one of the first things you notice when you walk in, if you look at the ceiling... There's hundreds of dollar bills tacked to the ceiling. Well, well it's been a long time first thing tradition you notice here. when you walk in is definitely how sticky the fucking floors are. Then you look up. Yeah. Well, less sticky than it used to be before the yeah, renovation. That's true. Yep. That's yeah, true. They, they aren't pinned in. You just push it on the ceiling and it stays there. No. Uh, well, there's a whole way you do it. Yeah, it's on like fishing wire. It's hanging no. like an ornament. No. No? No. The way you do it, Lou, is so, yeah, that's always a question. Well, how do the dollar bills get up there? So the way people do it is you take a dollar bill and you put a thumbtack through it and then you take either a 50 cent piece or a quarter to give it some weight and you crumple the dollar bill around it, right? So the thumbtack... Oh, yeah, so you're just then you throwing throw a up. stone. Yeah. That and then you throw awesome. it up. awesome. Yeah. Can you, we do you that? Can, you can yeah, definitely, you can you can definitely right see people still trying right, it for we're sure. We're going to take a yeah. try at the bridge. Well, I've been and here a couple a lot of times in the last couple months and saw people attempting it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a lot of people do before they put the dollar bill up is they'll write a message on the dollar bill, like a message to someone that they recently lost, or maybe it's uh, their anniversary it's a or something. To God. The notes, yeah. yeah. Now, there's a number That's of cool. bars around the country that do this. The Comet isn't the only one. And apparently, the tradition can be traced back to the, the California gold rush of 1849. Wow. So apparently, now, this is according to historical lore. Miners, like, would go try their hand at finding gold. And as they were on their way down to wherever they were going to, you know, be looking for gold, they would usually stop at a bar. And they wouldn't know. It was kind of dangerous. They didn't know if they were going to be back or not. Or if they did come back, they would, if they were going to strike gold, they might be broke. Mm -hmm. So what miners would do is they would tack their, some money up on the ceiling, write their name on it, and then come back. And hopefully, like, a year or two later, the money was still there if they needed it. But apparently, that's where the tradition the came from. The honor for. system. It seems weird. Like, it seems like a weird honor system because if you were trying like to stash some these... money, why would you do it in a bar where anyone can, like, rip it off? But apparently, that's where it came from. Well, back then, it, a bar It does bar seem was suspect, the... though. Yeah. Well, I guess times were different back then. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm, back, I'm definitely coming back here tomorrow in, like, one of those metal miners caps and just like start you know poking a stick up at the ceiling going where's my dollar where's my dollar 
Well, it's not too far from what we've done in past episodes, like the, the gold pokes that they had at Pioneer Square. There were bars that were kind of your bank. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this wasn't so much as a bank, though. This was just a, like a weird dollar bill tradition. But now, as far as what happens to the dollar bills, there's a little dispute here, too. Now, when I was drinking here in the 90s, I would come here a lot, and the story I always heard back then was that on, like, random nights... The bartender would be like, all right, it's dollar bill night, and they would take the dollar bill down. And then uh, whoever happened to be in the bar on that particular night, like that money went towards paying for everyone's drinks. They would, they would clear out the ceiling? Well, that's what I heard. That's what, what I... Well, that makes yeah. sense. You have to clean it, right? But apparently the actual, what actually happens, or at least more recently, is like maybe once or twice a year they take the dollar bills down and they donate it to charity. And, uh, and that... And, so that's that kind of a cooler, sense. more you know. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like a classic of like what actually happens, and then what happens in PR releases. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. what they the do. PR with releases, sure. it goes to charity. What actually happens is it buys around. <laughs> well, did you guys ever hear that in the '90s when you came here that the dollar bills they like they just took it down randomly, and then you happen to be in the bar on that night, you got free drinks. Did you hear that? That if, that if one falls, it's yours. First, that too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense. They do. They are falling at some point. Some of these are coming down. Well, I'm sure some of them weren't just like barely latched on with a thumbtack, and yeah, they probably yeah. do randomly fall and down. Some of them fall down and take out an eye. Though I thought we were gonna. This is gonna come up again in crime stories. Well, it is, and the I'm guy getting came there. came in and scraped the ceiling of all the dollar bills. Now, the other cool, interesting thing about that is that there's long-standing stories about there being secret tunnels underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah. The oh, comet. yeah. There's yeah. That were built Everybody during Prohibition. I, never, I read the Everybody same thing. That. You heard the same thing? Yeah, I read a pretty good article on it. Did you? Yeah, yeah. But... Where did they connect? Up and down pipe or to different neighborhoods? Just to different places. Like, they were supposedly built during Prohibition, so maybe across the street someone was running booze and stuff. Now, I've been fascinated from an historical standpoint about any kind of secret tunnels for a long time. There's supposedly a bunch on Lake City Way... There's supposedly some in Edmonds where I live, and then of course the tunnels yeah. here. Yeah. But 90% of the time, there's no physical evidence of any tunnels. It tr usually turns out to be kind of an urban myth. And as far as I know, there's been no like actual physical confirmation of there being any tunnels underneath the comet that I know of. Mm -hmm. I, there, well, I could stand corrected. Kind of like, Our like first a drone or AI, something to that shit out, like, right? Where did we unearth tunnels? At Woody's. It's a mini tunnel. It's a mini tunnel. It was we an did. escape yeah. tunnel. That's one of the few like confirmed that an ones. Actual one that you can That's see. true. So are, are you saying that the reason they haven't been found is because they're too small? That people are thinking bigger? No, people are just lazy now. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there's shovel and dig. There's and unconfirmed stories about tunnels being under. I'd love for the stories to be true because I love me a good secret tunnel story, but. Yeah. I haven't seen any actual physical evidence that they exist. And the last cool thing about the comet that I want to point out is the side of the wall is like a rotating art wall. There's always like really cool murals on the outside wall yeah. or graffiti art, street art, things like that. This neighborhood has quite a few of those too. Oh, some, there's been some amazing yeah. stuff over the years. I guess there was a real famous Kurt Cobain one there for a while. Yep. I think he had like angel wings or something, if I remember right. Anyway, there's some, it's some really cool pieces, and I always love, like, whenever I'm in the neighborhood and I drive by the Comet, I always want to see 
what's on the side of the wall because there's always something awesome on there. All right, so let's get into some crime stories here. Cue the crime music from Satan's Pilgrims, right, Lou? That is correct, sir. All right. Now, like I said, this was kind of a rough and tumble neighborhood in the 40s and 50s. Working man's neighborhood. And working man's Auto neighborhood. Row. And there were countless stick em up stories from that time period. Like, but very generic ones. You know, someone comes in with a revolver, everyone's hands in the air, they steal the money from the cash register and run out. There's probably like 20 of those stories that happen here. So I'm going to skip over those because nothing too memorable. They're, you know, they're your garden variety what stick them up well, stories. Well, except stick up. It, is it a shoot and grab? Is it a... So the first one happened in 1979. There was a lady who owned the bar at the time. Her name was Kathy Hillebrand. And she was an artist and she was a neighborhood fixture. And she painted this painting called the Mount Rainier Mona Lisa. And it hung over the bar, and it was like this really big painting, five foot by four foot, something like that. And by her own description, the painting depicted a girl wearing Mount Rainier as a hat. So again, it was called the Mount Rainier Mona Lisa. And for whatever reason, this painting back then became like a very iconic painting where like people would come in and photograph it. People would you know, have their pictures taken in front of it. It was just a very noteworthy painting that kind of took on a life of its own for whatever reason. Can we all look at that online if we search for it? Yeah, Is actually, some, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. We'll post, or we'll post one on the ourselves. ground. Well, one day in 1979, it suddenly went missing, and it turned into a big deal. Like, people lost their fucking minds over the fact that this painting was Vigilante missing. Vigilante mobs with sticks on fire. Kind of like all these fires put all over the neighborhood. There was a $100 reward. The cops $100? were involved. Like, it was a big deal that this iconic painting was stolen from here. A lot of people were upset. Yeah, a lot of regulars jumped in to try to do some detective work and stuff. As it turns out, one of the bartenders working here was just annoyed by the painting and always having, like, people ask about it. So one night at closing, he put it out in the alley and was just like, screw this. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And no one knows what happened to it after that. It just disappeared. Oh, it definitely ended up in somebody's garage sale 15 years later. Well, that's what people no speculate about. Like, did it survive? Did the garbage truck, like, assume it was part of the garbage and, you know, haul it away? Yeah. But the, the mystery has not been solved to this day. So the, the mystery of the missing Mount Rainier Mona Lisa painting... Uh, remains unsolved. Oh, it's definitely up in somebody's living room right now, and he's telling his buddies, like, yeah, I got this at a, at a Goodwill for 35 cents. Right, right. I wonder if, it, if they found it, if they would, like, hang it back up in here, just given its history. Oh, it's, it's always welcome back here. If you stumble on something that looks like what Brad described, bring it on down, yeah. free drinks for the rest of your life. Now, here's, here's another good crime story. I like this one. So, 2013, when they're doing the renovations, right? Uh, so it was closed down for a few months while they did renovations, and you know, they, they were taking down walls, putting in new bathrooms. The one thing, though, that they didn't want to change, they just want to keep intact, were the dollar bills up on the ceiling. Of course. So they, they kept those up there. Everything else got a renovation. One night they close, the next morning, they show up to like resume work, all the dollar bills are gone. Somebody 
came in during the middle of the night and took down all the dollar bills. The, according to their estimates... Because they were going to paint the next morning. Well, according to their estimates, whoever, whoever took the dollar bills down... Uh, wait, can we guess the number first, uh, Jeremy? Guess the, guess the number? number what? The number of how much they got. No, they don't, don't, they don't know exactly because no. it's, you know, no one, like if you looked at the ceiling right now, would you know the exact amount? It's well, like we could the gas. jelly beans hey, in that, the jar. Yeah, that's kind not going to stop us from guessing. I, I say $235. How much? Uh, I would say, well, then I say $1. 300 bucks. They, well, the estimates in the newspapers at the time were close to $1,000 bills. It was a lot. Well, and, the, uh, and from what they gathered, it must have taken somebody like a good two or three hours to do it. Like they, what they did is they had left a big ladder in here from doing the renovation. So somebody broke in, they took the ladder, and then they took two or three hours to remove each and every dollar bill, like Grinch style, coming in and. You, you can't take like a rake and just uh, get them all. Well, yeah, we're you know we're not talking cartoon, about criminal get masterminds a giant here. Magnet. You hold yeah. it up, pulls out all the thumbtacks, put them in a bag, throw them in the sleigh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, they cleaned it out, so that was uh, that was another big crime. They never solved that one either. Oh, uh, nice, nice. So a couple, a couple good, good crime, crime stories, mysteries here. Man. Yeah. So that's it as far as the history of the comic goes. Uh, you know, it's uh, been a long time fixture, and I love it because it still has its same character as from when I went here, even though they they changed it around in 2013. That is definitely not it for the history of the comet. Yeah. History of the comet lives on to this day, and we've even got uh, you know our good more recent history stories to share you know ourselves. So definitely not an end to the comet's history. Yeah. Right on, right on. That was good stuff, Brad. Yeah. All right. All right. We're being tabbed out of round one, so you know what that means. I think we're gonna go for round two. Sound good to you guys? Sounds well, like a good time. All right, house band, take us out. All right, we're back. Back for round two. Satan's Pilgrims, thank you for bringing us back. Jeremy, uh, what'd you get for round two? Well, we are on round two already, so I'll back it up. To round one, which was a Holy Mountain Belgian wit. And what's more important is like, why? Why that beer? Why? What? Why, Bob? What? You might ask, Bob, why? And it's because I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. Damn good beer, so why not? Yeah. The real why, though, is I am still very much in Oktoberfest mode, right? This okay. Is, this is end of September perfect Oktoberfest season. There's lots of excellent Oktoberfesty kind of beers coming to market right now. What I had was not really one of those, because this is something that Holy Mountain does every year, but it's definitely in the theme of Oktoberfest, that Belgian wit. Fantastic, delicious. But yeah, highly recommend, you know, get into the, get into the season. Get into the Belgians, get into the Fest beers, the wits, the Heffas, the uh, box, uh, all sorts of good good stuff. Where was I? Oh yeah, round two. Okay. So Belgian wit, sticking with the sticking with the Oktoberfest, shifting gears, thinking about a classic IPA. 
This is Hop Valley's Dash Kraken. So that's got everything going for it. It ticks off all the boxes. First of all, Hop Valley, fantastic local brewery. Dash Kraken, stash oh, yeah, yeah. style hops for a kind of a weedy style IPA, and then you know Kraken for the Seattle Kraken. That's pretty cool. But I got to tell you, this is my first time having this beer, and it's uh, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird, and it's been. Here, a let few, me have a sip. Yeah, there you go. Give me yeah, a point of reference that, on this thing. So I, I've described a few beers in my lifetime as like, oh, it's like butter, right? That beer was like butter. Right? Meaning, you know, delicious, right? Uh, this you're beer, so right. It's weird. This beer is like butter. It's literally. It, it is buttery. It is, it is like a liquid stick of butter masquerading well, as an IPA. A little milkshakey, maybe. It's a little, little milkshakey. What, uh, what gives it the buttery flavor? Is it the kind of hops? Well, it's, it's not the stash or the cryos or something you'd expect from Hop Valley. There's something else going on. I'm thinking it might, it might be lactobacillus. It might be one of kind of the, the uh, milk yeasts that did, they, they do for some of those beers. But I don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to do a little well, research. The other thing is it's hop season, like hop har- hop harvesting season they're harvesting all the hop absolutely. crops right now yeah absolutely. so is that like maybe a fresh hop beer that's what gives it its well, flavor absolutely and i think you know the stash kraken name tells you it's a stash style beer probably using some of the cryos hop valleys are known for their cryos like you said fresh hops tis the season so absolutely but i've never had a fresh hop that tastes like a stick of butter like this beer does so there's something else going on behind those besides mm, those fresh okay. hops so i'm going to do a little research and get back in the next episode because i'm really cool. curious because this beer is like butter. It's I like hope butter. it's what you're saying where you're like, oh, we put a, a box of uh, butter sticks in it. Yeah. It's literal butter. That Maybe that's the next big thing. Yeah, we go to the next beer festival. Well, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, everybody's uh, doing butter beers this year. People are putting butter in their coffee, so maybe butter beer is... Uh, that's true. Or excellent. or uh, olive oil. Yeah, so olive oil beers, butter yeah, beers. Yeah. I'd like to promote what I am drinking yeah, because what are you it's drinking a now? tall boy um, Japanese lager called Freem. Mm-hmm. That's right. Freem's a brewery. Freem, Jeremy or Brad, you want to take a swing at that? Freem. Freem. P H R I E M. Freem. It is Freem. That's right. You had it right. Now, you can double check that can, but I believe they're out of Oregon. I don't know. I've never heard of them I before. Double check. Yeah, been around for a while uh, with an awesome, very, very European name. But no, I believe they're, I believe they're out of Oregon. Our listener is going to call in and complain and correct us, which they should. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All right. That's actually a really good point. That's a Japanese lager, which is definitely is kind of a uh, a little bit of a trend, maybe a little minor trend that we see coming in from the micros, especially Northwest Micro. Absolutely. Yeah, Japanese style and then specifically lagers. So like Japanese style beers and combine them with lagers, we've seen a lot of Japanese style lagers. And uh, rice, even if they don't say Japanese, like a rice style lager, which I'm not, I gotta say I'm not a super huge fan of, but there's some good ones. Uh, yeah, yes, but the, the rice beer doesn't taste like sake. No. <laughs> if it did, that would be definitely a good niche market. I'd drink that. Right on. Uh, Brad, you want to talk about what you're drinking? So, in honor and tribute of this past weekend, where the four of us went to Rainier Festival, 
I'm drinking a Rainier. Nice. But uh, that was like such a great event. Uh, great. You know, a little bit, Brad. For our listener that wasn't there, we met. Oh, sorry, Bob. Yeah, that was such an that's such an awesome event. I'm glad we made it. We we're gonna try to record there, but it didn't pan out. Yeah. What happened? Uh, was but we, we did had have a good so time. So much fun partying, we couldn't stop for <laughs> yeah. a half hour to make yeah. the podcast. But it's a celebration of all things Rainier, and everyone gets decked out in their Rainier garb, and it's just a fun time. It's like, it's like old Seattle for sure. It's almost like a celebration of old Seattle. But I also like. thought it was going to be more low-key, and it's more like the Capitol Hill block party. Like Red Fang was playing. There were two other Pretty killer festive, bands. Yeah. There was a ton of people. Paris Alexa, good callback. And the location was historically significant and fantastic right seattle malting company building which used to be the brewery when they moved from the original south uh south seattle location awesome old 1940s fucking brick building that's still as it was back in the yeah you know, back in the day great location well and hopefully the audio comes through in this part of the uh podcast because right now we're getting blasted by uh accept balls to the walls <laughs> Which, I was uh, going to say name that tune, but you just did it, so kudos to you. I saw them in concert on this tour. Oh, yeah. Except, yeah. Oh, yeah. No Udo Dirk Schneider. I don't know how I remember that name, but that was a singer. Yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Strange well, right little. here now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, we've gone through all the beers. Lou, why don't you tell everybody where we at? Let's talk about where we're at, Brad. We are on Capitol Hill for the second time in the last few months. We did a podcast from the Crescent Lounge mm-hmm. for Pride Month not too long ago. We also did a pod. Just down the street, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. We also did a pod at the Deluxe Bar and Grill um, not too long ago. So between the three, Just we got. Just up the street. That was up the street speaking. on Broadway. <laughs> between the three, we got Capitol Hill covered. Uh, there's a few mini ecosystems on the hill uh our posse was on broadway at the north end on the night of the deluxe episode mm-hmm. um crescents like denny olive i5 triangle and this one is in the heart of things many would say right in the pike pine corridor all parts of the, those all parts of the hill do have one thing in common right parking's a bitch always has been always will be and yeah. it's super expensive now. Like street parking was five bucks an hour. Yeah, they'll get you up here. All I'm saying is that you need to get your parallel parking skills up to date before coming here. And here's a tip for our listener that I learned the hard way. Right here where we are in these six blocks, Pike Pine Union, 10th Broadway, Keep that parking meter healthy and fed because cops will write you a ticket from the time it takes you to walk from your car to the parking meter. Um, Aggressive ticketing in Seattle? Not on my watch. Ticket. Yes, Bob, case in point. I did the same thing. I came here to go to uh, retail therapy. Shout out across the street. Retail therapy was closed. They had the sign hanging up like back in Sanum. It's like, are we talking 5, 10, 15? And I said, oh, walk to the end of the block, saunter, 
look in some shop windows and come back, and if it's not open, I gotta leave because I gotta be somewhere. Ticket. Yeah. It was like, like you said, three, four, five. It was like a cop underneath a fake uh, trash can waiting for you to walk away. Jumps out, writes a ticket. <laughs> so, um, I didn't even see the meter make golf cart, but I actually was grousing about this with a friend at the time whose office is just a block up the street. He had a loft for his business. And he was like, oh yeah, dude, you don't want to play around here. There's a person that just walks around these four blocks and writes paper. That sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, our listeners, we take care of you. Don't mess around with the parking meters up here. Brad, you got a ticket? I don't have anything to add to that. You got towed in Capitol Hill. (laughs) A long time ago, yeah. That's right. So other than wanting a parking ticket, there is another good place to come here is to party, right? Well, you know, when I first started coming to the Comet in the 90s, it was because I had just moved to Seattle and was living in First Hill. So just a few blocks kitty corner from where we're sitting right now. So I used to walk up to this neighborhood every freaking day. So I didn't have to worry about parking, which was awesome, because even back then, parking absolutely sucked, Yeah. Right? But I used to walk up here in this neighborhood all the time, come to Comet very, very frequently, uh, and also frequented a lot of the other awesome dive bars, clubs, kind of down and out, kind of establishments that are in this neighborhood that are, you know, many of which are long gone. But yeah, I was lucky. Well, and back then lucky. it was, um, I don't know if it still operates this way, but it was zone parking. So if you were in a certain part of Capitol Hill and wanted to park there, you had to have like a zone seven parking permit parking permit in order to like park there. Uh, so that was always a nightmare too, dealing with that. Where The place where me and Baba lived, the place gave you a parking permit. Yeah, most apartments did. did that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh crap, this is a zone G spot. Yeah. I only have a zone L permit. So if you weren't parking in your hood, if you were like in some other part of Capitol Hill, like Zone Two, Zone oh, Three, Zone Four, yeah, 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 they slice your tires and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I never had that happen. Get your toad. Yeah. yeah. You took your life in your own hands. But yeah, names, uh, names change and places come and go. Uh, similar to Belltown, though, there's a string of great bars and restaurants and coffee houses on these two blocks, uh, with anchor businesses. Holding it down like the comet. There we're talking. Neighbors, Cha Cha Lounge. Anyway, it's a very vibrant neighborhood, and uh, it's been handful to a. I've been here for a bunch of like really killer pop up parties. Um, when I first got to town, this area was very artist friendly. Living spaces, artist lofts, practice spaces were all cheap. So this whole corridor. It was just kind of full of, um, yeah, it's yeah. an arts community. Yeah. Believe and it or not, there was a short, very short period of affordability in certain pockets of the Seattle city. That's true. But you long, know, long gone now. What's a trip is even when it wasn't cheap in like the early 2000s, uh, there was still a lot of affordable workspace here. Because when you look around, it's the same old buildings, all the same deferred maintenance, you know.
Huge. Ten of us. A lot of people know. did that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ten, ten of you in that two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, got it. Yeah. All right, everybody, get close and huddle up. As you may have heard, the jukebox <laughs> just got turned up from four to eleven. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, loud AF in here. They told us to get on out. So let's bring this plane in. Uh, like, subscribe, follow, click, and uh, swipe. Any yeah. support yeah. for the and show is much appreciated. Uh, Patreon. Check out our Patreon page. Until next time. Cheers. All right. Thanks, cheers. Thanks, everybody.